So we're uh, we're in, as you know, Malachi, and that's what we're going to have a look at this evening. Malachi chapter one. Malachi. <laughs> that's spooky. I know. I've got So we just pray. Father, we just thank you again for the opportunity we have to gather together around your word. And we just ask that you will speak to us through it, that we will be drawn closer to you, closer to each other. And Father, we just again would thank you that we can do this and that we do it in your name, in the knowledge that you are here in our midst. Amen. Amen. So the passage, uh, Malachi, let me read just the first five verses, and we're just going to look at that uh, this evening. <clears throat> Malachi 1, verse 1 to 5, a prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I've loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I have hated and I've turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, they have built, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. And you will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Now within that there, what Malachi is saying, there is also a, a, another prophecy which we can uh, verify in Malachi of Zechariah and different books, but not for this evening. We're just going to look at this passage. You might remember the last week, uh, we said that the words of Jesus in John chapter 13, the words, I have loved you, are the words that lead us in to this book of Malachi. Now we know that every book in the Bible is important. Each one is just as important as the other <coughs> because they're all part of God's overall plan. And we're going to see that this message from Malachi, it sits as a, a bridge between the events of the Old Covenant and the events of the New Covenant. So it's right there, the last book in the Old Testament, and then we will come into the New Testament. And in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, just to remind ourselves of a few things that we thought about last week. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now I said the name Malachi means the Lord's messenger. It's also a name, Malachi, that can also refer to angel. An angel is a messenger. Malachi is God's messenger. And we think that Malachi is, is more than likely his name. His task was to expose God's people to the fact that their present position before God wasn't good. In fact, they were in a really terrible state. You see, they were supposed to be an example, an example to the nations, an example by 
showing them how God is loving his people and how they, his people, love him. And then God's ultimate love would be for the world. And that love would be revealed through them, the nation of Israel. So do you get that? The nations were to see a God of love who loved his people and eventually that would reveal the love he has for the world. Now his message is of God's love and we're going to consider that again a little bit this evening. And it was for his people, the people who lived under the old covenant. And it's the same message to Israel. It's still the same God, it's still God's love that we're speaking about. Still God's love that Malachi is speaking about. And so it speaks through the ages down to us. Those who are God's people living under the new covenant. Verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now John, in his letter, also reminds us of the love that the Lord has for you and me. 1 John 4, verse 10 and 12. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is the ultimate love of God for us. That was the love that he had for his people. It's the same love. And the, the ultimate thing would be when God gave his son for us. This is... Um, a lot of hymn writers, a lot of poets, they write about God's love. We do sing about it often. There's a hymn by George Matheson, O love that wilt not let me go. You're probably familiar with the words. And it starts off, O love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. This is the love that we can rest in. John continues, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Okay, this sounds okay. All sounds great. But what about the dark days? What about the days when we feel unloved? What about the days when we feel unloved by others? And the times when we even feel unloved by God? Now, these people that Malachi is speaking to, they reach that point and they are saying, look, God doesn't really care about us, but why should we care about him? And this is the problem that's being addressed here in the book of Malachi. That hymn by George Matheson continues, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer full of thee. Last week, remember what hymn we sung? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. There's loads of hymns like that, and the great, the great to sing. And God's love for us doesn't ebb and flow as our love does. That's how we flow. It ebbs 
and flows. It's up and down. God's love is an eternal love. And we can even turn to the words of the children's choruses, you know, deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a flowing fountain flowing deep and wide. That's the love that God has for us. Jesus' love is very wonderful. It tells us that God's love is so high, you can't get over it. Come on, so deep, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get around it. This is God's love. It's not um, in like ebbing and flowing. It is the same love that is there. God is love, as John tells us in John 1. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, for the nation of Israel, their actions towards each other and towards God were not what they should be. And they needed to turn from their ways back to God's ways. And today this message of Malachi is to those in our day who claim to be Christians, but who choose to live outside of God's ways. And this message for them is a rebuke with an aim to restoration. You get hold of that, because that's God's love. A rebuke with an aim to restoration. And for those who seek to live by God's word, it's a reminder of the responsibility that we have towards God's word and to the need for us to live by it and to proclaim the truth of it. You see? See how Old Testament and New Testament are all linked together. It's all the same God. It's, it's all the same love. It's still God's people, whether under the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. As Malachi brings them a truth from God, you know, get this, he's prepared and ready for their reply. Okay? He's bringing a message to them from God. And he's prepared and ready for their reply. And he's able to answer them with words of truth. We're going to see that as we go through this group. And this reminds us of what the Apostle Peter says. And I'll just read those words to you. It's from 1 Peter 3, and it's verse 15 and 16. And this is what Peter says. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak, speak maliciously against your God behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Okay. Start witnessing. Questions. How do we do this? Well, let's just think for a moment. This is what Peter is telling us to do. He's telling us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. And you think, oh, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. No. Well, this doesn't mean what Peter is saying. It doesn't mean that you've got to be a Bible student, you've got to be a preacher, you've got to be a teacher. What he's saying is, look, a simple answer to the question to what and why we trust in Jesus that is spoken from the heart and with 
compassion and with meaning as simple as it might be it can be just as powerful as a well-prepared half-hour sermon you get that don't be put off by peter telling you to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have I can't do that. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Bible student. I don't know me Bible that well enough. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. He's not telling you to do that. He's speaking to whoever you are. And if you are a teacher and a preacher, then yeah, you've got more responsibility to be able to do it. But if you're just Joel Boggs, who's just become a Christian, you still do it. And he tells us how to do it. You know, don't get, don't get in an argument. Don't get angry. Just say, how it is. I'm going to quote a Bob Dylan song, okay? Now, in this song, the song is called The Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall. And that's not a misspell. That's how it's called. The Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall. And in that song, he answers the questions that he's being asked. Now, in the song, these are the questions. Where have you been? What did you see? What did you hear? Who did you meet? What will you do now? And he finishes the song with this piece of advice, advice to himself, the one who is being asked these questions. And this is the advice. Now, when I first heard this, I jotted this down. Uh, this is, I've used this you know, many times to myself. And this is the, what he says. I know my song well before I start singing. Good advice there, isn't it? I'll know my song well before I start singing. What song do you need to know? Just your song of salvation. How did I become a Christian? In simple words. And why did I become a Christian? In simple words. And why do I trust in Jesus? In simple words. You just have to know that bit well. And then you can sing it. So, little bit of advice there. Now, when Malachi tells them that God has loved them, He's ready for what they will say. And what they will say will reveal their lack of love that they have for God. See that? He's ready. He's asked the question. And he's ready for what they're going to say. These are the people who would quote the Shema. And I think I've pronounced it right. It's S-H-E-M-A. Shema was a daily prayer. The Shema in Hebrew just means here. So if I say Shema, I'm saying here. But I'm not just saying here. I'm saying listen with intent. You get that? It's more than just here. It's listen with intent. Now, we need to go back to Deuteronomy. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, I'm going to turn to it. But in that uh, chapter, Deuteronomy 5, Moses summons all the Israelites to listen as he reminds them of the Ten Commandments. And he's saying, hear this, listen with intent. And at the end of chapter 5, verse 32 to 33, Moses says, so be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper 
and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. So in Deuteronomy 6, Moses is encouraging Israel to love their God. And in 6 verse 5, well verse, chapter 6 verse 4 and 5, we read these words. Now listen to these words carefully. So it's Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and 5. Hear, now there's that word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now these two verses that I've just quoted, these are the Shema. Now the Shema, a daily prayer that the ancient Israelites prayed both morning and evening, and it's still recited by Jewish people today. And as I said, it takes its name from the first word of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, hear. Because Shema, that word, just means in Hebrew, hear. But as I've said before, it's not just listen, it's to listen with intent. We only have that one word, hear. And very often we will, how we say it, you know, I might say, uh, you know, hear means listen, listen. I might say, listen. Now, bit of a difference there. I might say, hey, listen, okay? So, Shema is here, hey, here, you've got to hear. And they, uh, this is the, the prayer, the passage continues to tell them why they should never forget to pray what they now call the Shema. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, in the days of Malachi, Malachi the prophet that we're looking at, you see, the people have moved away from God. Malachi is telling them that God loves them, but they can't see that God loves them. And so they've started to move away from him, but they're still going through the motions. But it's not of love. So in days, the days of Malachi, this prayer had ceased to become a prayer. The words are the same, but it's just a legalistic daily ritual. They're just going through the motions. So there's a little bit for you. The Shema, the Jewish word for here. Those words taken from Deuteronomy, the Jewish people took as a daily prayer. They prayed it twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. And they still pray today in the synagogues. They still pray that prayer. That, those words from Deuteronomy. Now, here's the thing. Get the links between the Old and the New Testament as well. Now that we know this, we're able to understand the deeper importance of the word that Jesus spoke to the teacher of the law who asked him which of the commandments is the most important. And we read about that in Mark's Gospel. I'm going to read a little bit to you from Mark's Gospel. You're probably familiar with the passage. And one thing you won't have realized is the depth of what's really happening here. And, and the importance of what Jesus is actually saying to these Jewish people. 
So we're going to, and especially to one who is a supposedly leader of the Jewish people. Mark 12, 28 to 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that <coughs> Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Listen, listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, and the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Then he goes in the second one. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, you've heard that before. You've probably heard it preached on. You've read it. But because we're not Jewish, we wouldn't see the full importance of that. Now, a Jewish, Jewish reader of this passage in Mark's Gospel would know exactly what Jesus is saying. He's quoting the words of what the Jews call the Shema. Here. Here with intent. Now, let's just consider that as we carry on with this. These words that Jesus has just spoken in Mark's Gospel, he's telling them to a teacher, a religious teacher, maybe a rabbi, maybe, you know, I don't know, it might have been a scribe, a Pharisee, whatever. But these are the words that this teacher that Jesus is speaking to would have quoted that very morning in the presence of God. And after he'd heard what Jesus said, he would have gone home and quoted the same prayer in the evening as he did every day. So you begin to see the importance of these words and how this teacher, this man who Jesus spoke to, would understand them far better than we do when we read Mark's Gospel. Unless we go back to Deuteronomy and see the history of what Jesus is actually saying here to this man. The passage in Mark goes on. Well said, the teacher. Uh, well said, teacher, the man replied. So he's speaking back to Jesus now. And it was well said, because Jesus had just quoted the morning and evening prayer that this man prayed every day of his life. And would have been prayed mostly by all the people standing around listening to what Jesus was saying. So this is the, the importance of it. And this is why you read at the end, nobody said anything else. Because they've gone, oh, you know, <laughs> I prayed that prayer this morning. Did I mean it? And then he prayed that evening. He'd probably think again what he said. So Mark, in his gospel, continues. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. This is the important thing that this man said. And this is very relevant to what we're looking at in Malachi. In, in Malachi. This is what he said. He said, Understanding and with all the strength and all love, your neighbour as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. See that? See, the ritual of saying that prayer, the way they were saying it, not from the heart, to say it with heart is more important than all the sacrifices and the offerings. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, 
he said to him, You are not far from your kingdom of God. This man was close. He got a hold of that. He'd seen that he was just going through the motions. And the more important thing was to do it in the heart. And to do that prayer from the heart was more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices that were being doing just ritualistically in the days when Jesus spoke to these people and were being done in the days of Malachi, the prophet that we're looking at. And that's why in Mark's Gospel, at the end of that little uh, confrontation, we read, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Well, they all went away. I think they all went away with conviction. You know, they saw themselves as being hypocrites, and Jesus has just pointed that out to them. And that's what hap what's happening here in the book of Malachi. And that phrase there, more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices, we're going to hear in the book of Malachi, because Malachi is going to say the same things. And maybe, maybe that man that Jesus was speaking to, and those who were around him, maybe, maybe, and more than likely, they were very familiar with the book of Malachi. And they oh, oh, we better keep our mouth shut. And I, I'm sure that some of them went home and thought about it. And the question is, this teacher, when he praised that prayer, was he speaking from the heart, or was it just a legalistic ritual? Okay, so back to the book of Malachi, Malachi uh, chapter 1, verse 2. And here's a question to Malachi from the people. And the question is, how have you loved us? Okay, Malachi, verse 2. I've loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? See, when Malachi tells them that God loves them, he knows that they will answer with a question. Politicians do that. A lot of people do that. They answer with a question. The Samaritan woman at the well, when she spoke to Jesus, answered with a question. You know, Eli. And he knew they'd answer with a question. <coughs> Notice that they addressed the question, not to Malachi, but directly to God. Okay. How have you loved us? You see? Malachi said, God loves you. And they turn and say to God, How have you loved us? Get that? See where he's, the, the conversation is going? The people have chosen to forget how God has continually shown his love to them. Now, I'm going to just call a very probably well-known illustration, the, the, the child-parent scenario. You know, when children can't get their own way, when um, they want to do something, the parent won't let them, the parent, you know, and, and this is what happens, you know. Uh, child's a parent um, when they can't do anything. You don't love me. <laughs> That's what they say, don't they? Mm -hmm. You don't love me. Because you let them do what they want to do. Parent's a child. I do love you. Child's a parent. How do you love me? See, they're standing there because they won't let me go out. They won't let me go and watch the telly. They won't let me go and on the video game because you can't do that the question is how can how, how do you love me so the parent comes back who feeds you who buys your clothes who gives you a home who protects you and nurses you when you're not well and why do i do all these things because i love you, you get that 
This is what's happening with these people. God loves you. How do you love us? Because they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Malachi gives God's answer. An answer that is ultimately from the Lord. Notice again the wording. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Declares the Lord. See, it's God speaking through Malachi. So this is what we read as we read that verse. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob. So what's happening here? He's reminding them that the Lord chose them, the descendants of Jacob, and not Esau. They are his covenant people and his treasured possession. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 7 and 9. The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other people. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. The word thousand there is figurative, meaning forever. Okay? And Deuteronomy 7, verse 10 to 11, here speaks of the, the, the destiny of those who do not love God. So we've got a contrast here. So we've got God loves these people. He tells them that he's chosen them. He's chosen them not, not for anything they had. They were the smallest of people. They weren't even the perfect of people. God, I chose you rather than Esau. Okay. And then in Deuteronomy, we speak of the destiny of those who do not love God. But those who hate him, he will repay for their, to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and the laws I gave you today. Back to Genesis, a reminder from Genesis 25, and we know that as the firstborn of the two twins, Jacob and Esau, Esau was the firstborn, he should have had the birthright, he should have had the inheritance and the blessing, but he didn't value it. And he sold it for what? A bowl of soup. And he sold it to his twin brother, Jacob. And the blessing has been given to Jacob. Now, verse 3 through to 5 of Malachi, I'll just read these to you, and then we'll think about them. They're difficult verses to unravel, but we'll look at it to some extent. There's so much more we could say about it. But let's just read it, and then I'll make some comments. But Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Eden may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Now these are strong words. And there's a lot of things here we can have to go, what is God actually saying here? 
what is happening here is God's love is for Jacob. Now Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who had 12 sons, who became the children of Israel. That's where we get the name children of Israel from. Okay? So speaking about, when he speaks about Jacob, he's speaking about Israel, he's speaking to these people. God's love is for Jacob. And it's so great that in comparison, it seems like hatred towards Esau. Now there's a lot in this, but I want us just to understand a little bit here uh, without going into a lot of the history of when the prophecy is, is being spread out here, what would happen to Esau, why it happened to Esau. Um, it's a little bit like Cain and Abel, you know, when uh, one offered the right sacrifice and the other didn't. You know, there's a difference. And here, there's a difference. And these people are saying to God, how do you love us? And he's saying, look, this is how I've loved you. This is how deep my love is for you. And in comparison to, to your, the way I love you, is like hatred of Esau, you see? See what's happening here. Romans 9, verse 10. This is what Paul says. And again, we're getting the link between the Old and the New Testament. You know, they are all intertwined. Romans 9, verse 10, 16. Not only that, but Rebecca's children, this is Jacob's wife, were conceived at the same time by our father. This is Isaac, sorry. This is, isn't it, Jacob's mother. Let's go through it again. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it's written. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effect, but on God's mercy. There's a lot of things in here, a lot of things to unpack. We're just unpacking a few of them this evening. But I want us to try to understand it. You see, we can reflect on this issue again in Luke's Gospel. This time, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 27. This is what we read. This again is Jesus and what was happening here. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Strong words there. And we need to unpack them in order to understand what is actually being said here. Jesus is not saying that we should literally hate our family. Because he tells us to love each other. He tells us to love our enemies. He tells us to honour our mother and father. So he's not telling us to go and hate our family. You've got to look at it in context. You've got to look at what he's saying to people. And he's explaining to people that to become a Christian is not an easy life. 
And you have to be committed because it is hard and there will be a lot of opposition. Jesus is not telling us to literally hate our parents or hate anybody. When used in this context in the Bible, it means that he's trying to say, look, you must love less. Okay, so that word hate, you could say, it means you must love less, but there's a big comparison about the love that he's speaking about. Speaking about God's love, he's saying that we should imitate God's love. And when we follow him, the extent of that is far from anything else. Okay, so he's giving us a sort of comparison between the two. In comparison, the less love we have for people or things that will keep us from loving him, see what I mean? He's saying the less love we have for things or people that will keep us from him, in, in contrast, is, is it's not hating them, it's, it's less love. It's less love. And we must love him more because it's God's love that we must love him with. In fact, he's saying to the disciples and to us, look, this is an illustration to show you how much you should love me and how much you should love God. And he's saying the comparison is it should even be a greater love that you have for yourself. You get that picture. It's the depth of the love that we should have. It's not easy to do that. But this is the love that is there. Now, because of God's love for them, He's chosen them, He freed them from Egypt, He delivered them from Babylon, He moved the heart of Cyrus, allowing them to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the temple and the city wall. The Lord gave them men like Zerubbabel, Joshua, Ezra, Haggai, Nehemiah, Zechariah, Malachi who were given to them during this period, giving them the opportunity to be able to witness to the other nations of God's love that God has for them. But they've forgotten all those things. Like the child forgets all about all the things the parent does for them. And it's just that one thing the parent won't let them have and they say, you don't love me. <laughs> you know, get that? that? That's what we're getting at here. <coughs> Life was hard for them. So we do have a degree of sympathy. They were in the wrong. But life was hard. What was happening, they'd come out of uh, exile. They'd gone back to their own land. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the city walls. They were still under great opposition. Now the other nations seem to be doing fine and everything's going hunky-dory for them. And they're saying, well, look at us. Look at the state we're in. All those are doing fine. Yeah, we do that today, don't we? We look around. But this is the part of the bigger picture and like uh, the nation that he spoke about and um, we've learned Jacob better the ones who moved away from God then everything did they didn't enjoy what was at the end of the line which was Jesus so we've got that there Matthew 28 verse 20 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. <coughs> That's something we need to remember. When we feel as though everything's going wrong and we say to God, why are you letting all this happen to me? The people seem to be getting away with all kinds. Is it that you don't love me anymore? No. No. Truth is, he's promised to be with us through all things. That's the Lord is my shepherd, the psalm. Through the good days, the bad days. And eventually, what is at the end of it is irreplaceable. You know, of what we need. So we've got that. And also, Jesus loves us and we must love him. So I'm going to finish with the words from Deuteronomy, which is called Hashima. And that word Shema just means hear, but really listen with intent. Hear this, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And he is still there for us when we trust in him, even when we feel he is. Father, we just thank you for this time. We just ask that you will bless us through it, that you will teach us and speak to us through your word. And we ask this in your name. Amen.